Hey guys, welcome to episode 4 of Manga Takes. Super excited to bring you guys a hot take special. Uh, Kenta, Saad, and I all came up with three hot takes. Um, and we're going to defend it from the other two people in this group. So sort of how it's going to work is the presenter is going to say his hot take. We're all going to rate out of five how much we believe it. One being it's extremely hot and five being we fully support that take. Um, the presenter will be able to defend. We'll debate for about five to eight minutes per hot take. And at the end of time, we'll talk about how much our minds changed. Sounds good. Sounds about right. Yeah, so I think, Saad, we're just going to jump straight into it. Why don't you give us your um, hot take on Kingdom? So, my hot take on Kingdom is that Shin is a bad main protagonist for the series. What's your, what's your take, Kenta? Yeah, so without any discussion, uh, I pretty pretty much agree with it. I, I'd say I give it a 4 out of 5. Yeah, I give it a 3 out of 5. I think... I'm curious to hear like, what's your ideal main protagonist. Real quick for our viewers, yeah. what's the 5 point scale looking like? So, I would say 1 is you absolutely disagree, 3 is like you're 50-50, and then 5 being it, uh, you support it. I was warm cake. Lukewarm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, cool. So, I mean, my, my reasoning behind this one is, um, first of all, like, I like Shin. I think he's cool and he's an enjoyable character. He reminds me of Luffy a lot. But I think a manga like Kingdom is a little more complex and tactical when it comes to fighting uh, and strategy. And I think that's something that's like a big cornerstone of... First of all, the fact that it's a historical manga that takes place to, across real wars. Um, and the fact that it's about the battlefield as opposed to one-on-ones for the most part. And I think Shin is sort of a stark contrast to all of this. And I think it it kind of holds the manga back, in my opinion. It does lead to hype moments. Um, of course, like, you know, his 1v1 against Hoken and him beating people. It, it's really eye-grabbing and, and attention-grabbing. And I can't say that it didn't draw me in initially. But I think when you have a manga that uh, has a bunch of characters who are super witted and, you know, get by on the merit of this um, of their tactics, as makes more sense in a war-like setting, and then you have your main character just bumbling through, not really knowing anything about war, and just kind of getting by on some bravado and, and cutting people down. Like, while hype, uh, it just feels like it holds back the manga from... Uh, something that it could be like I'm imagining a character more like Lelouch kind of taking the helm uh, that could really drive the strategy a bit more and take the longer to further heights. All right, let me make the counter argument. I think it's it's good for the eyes of the reader where we have been like a come in and you can sort of see how amazing all the other generals are in their strategic knowledge. I think Shin is a good introduction for readers like us who have no experience with war. So. I agree. That That's cool. If he had changed at all throughout the series. And I feel like he hasn't really picked up many tactics throughout the series. And he's honestly, to me, more or less the same character outside of some personal development and obviously getting stronger. But I haven't really seen him take the helm um, in terms of strategy. And I know maybe you could argue that he delegates that and puts people around him who have that. But it's never seemed like a super conscious effort on his part. I think... I think... I, as as you know, I gave this a 4 out of 5, so I mostly agree, but I think up until, like, Real Fui being overthrown, Shin was a pretty decent protagonist. Because I think in, like, the last 200 or 300 chapters, like you said, it's been mostly, like, strategy and, like, armies, like, 
clashing against right. each other and, and like very high level tactical right. simulations. But I think up until up until Real Fui was like a pretty good, you know, naive protagonist where mm -hmm. like Wall said we could mm -hmm. get like a contact stump mm -hmm. through the excuse that is Shin. And it also kind of makes sense for him to have that kind of like growth to like oh no in the general but right yeah but up until then i think he's actually a good protagonist i don't know if you guys agree with that i guess to continue further on that the manga is clearly in its infancy still in terms of where the story is so i'd love to see more development for shin on this front like outside of just being a meathead uh so maybe this take won't age well but at least as of now, I think his development has just been a bit disappointing for me for a manga that's so strategic and tactical. Anything, anything else you guys want to add? Yeah, he's cool sense. though. I like him. Yeah, he's yeah. Cool. He reminds me a lot of Luffy. <laughs> the, yeah, uh, the yeah. obligatory. He's cool. He's cool though. Yeah, I would. <laughs> I think he's grown a bit for sure in uh -huh. terms of his instinctual abilities. Hmm. But overall, after like 600 or so chapters, I do agree with you that she's had poor development yeah. compared to other protagonists. Um, yep. You, you bumping your 4 out of 5 to 5 out of 5? That <laughs> <laughs> man seemed convinced. No, I'll keep it at, I'll keep it at 4 out of 5. Yeah, I think yeah. I'll keep it at 3 out of 5. I'm not convinced that having a like, super smart protagonist would be good for Kingdom. I think part of the appeal of the manga is just... Shin, uh, brute forcing his way through a lot of shit. To be honest, it would definitely be a very different manga mm -hmm. if if the main character was a more strategic oriented yeah. type. But I think it could add more depth. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Any other takes in the Kingdom Land? All right. I'll I'll, I'll give my takes. Um, I think Roboku is the best Kingdom general we've seen so far by like a decent margin. And yeah, I'll give that a three out of five. So I'm pretty much fifty fifty on it. I'll give that a 4 out of 5. I tend to, like, closely agree with this take, actually. Yeah, so, I think the community has been trashing him a lot, especially after the Western Tower, so mm -hmm. I wanted to sort of compass the fence a little bit. I think the TLDR would be Roboku has outplayed all the other top-tier generals that he's been matched against so far. It's just his underlings have failed to execute, especially against, you know, Shin and Shin, because they are the protagonists of the story. So let's take a look, a deeper dive. Obviously, Battle of Bayo, first time, completely outplays Oki and manages to kill him. I think yep. everyone yep, agrees yep. where he lured Oki into a perfect position Super with impressive. a 1v1 with Hoken. I think that's pretty clear. Second time we see him is the coalition arc where he manages to do a super sick political maneuver in creating a coalition against Jin, convincing all the other kingdoms. And he pretty much, I mean, has Jin on paper at their knees, um, but all the other Chin generals really sh shines, you know, Kanki, Osin, Nobu especially, whereas the coalition army really failed to execute despite their superior numbers and having a lot of advantages. Uh, some key moments is Chu failing to defeat the Chin army of Mobu and Toad despite having a large numerical advantage and combat losing to Mobu. Um, Ordo failing to capture Osin and failing to attack Osin's weak point when Osin went to save the Kanko Pass from falling. I don't know if you guys remember that like sick panel of him coming down the mountains yes, where yes. he completely gave up his position. Right, right, yeah. right, right, right. 
as the shield, but Ordo just chose to stay because he was defeated psychologically, as Harp put it. That was like a double page spread. Yeah, yeah. And then, obviously, Hoken fighting against Shin. I don't know how Hoken lost to Shin, but they pretty much had the king right there, if not for uh, the protagonist's powers. Yeah. And then, even in the Western Zalark, I think he put his people in a really good position to succeed. First of all, Yotama was completely outnumbered two to one, but uh, Roboku's retainer failed to capitalize on advantage. And even in the Battle of Shukai Plains, you know, like on the first day, he killed Mako, uh, Chin's left-wing commander, and Chin was completely bailed out by Moten. Kisui unable to take advantage of a first-time general. On the right wing for Chin, Roboku gave them the strategy, you know, to take down Akko. And then once again, Chin, young generals in Shin and um, Ohan rising to the occasion, whereas the Zhao generals failed to do so, despite having a much a much bigger army and uh, experience advantage. So overall, I think Roboku, in each time we've seen him as a general, has put his generals in a position to succeed. They've just failed to capitalize. So... Besides the Western Zhao arc, has Roboku had Hoken at his, uh, as a pawn slash like at his disposal? Every time. Every time. Every time. So do you think that is like without without Hoken, do you think Roboku would have like be even in this goat conversation, like this like top tier conversation? Because obviously, you know, having the Hoken on your side itself is a political political strength, right? But like it just seems like this thing where he knows that oh he has a beef with Oki and Roboku just happens to leverage it. And now in the Western Zalwark, like we see that absence and you know, he, he clearly lost to Olison there. So I'm curious what you think without Hoken. So I I think one is he discovered Hoken. Hoken was just in the woods <laughs> and Roboku managed to recruit him. So that should be a prop to Roboku himself that he managed to attract a talent like Hoken. But two, I think he would have changed the strategy to at least defeat Oki. Um, he clearly knew about Hoken's history with Oki and managed to bait Oki out. I do think he would have been able to find another way to bait out Oki. I think it would have been harder to win the one-on-one -on -one duel, but I actually do think he would have done it, especially since he was super unknown at the time to all of China. He would have been able to use his advantage of surprise. Yeah, I think kind of to that point, one of Roboku's big strengths that I've seen at least is his ability to work with all types of people, like with the coalition army, that's a pretty tough challenge working across those boundaries, uh, as well as playing the political game pretty strongly. So he, he's shown to be a guy who keeps his composure and is able to win people to his side. So I do agree sometimes that the Hoken show-ups feel like ass pulls. Like I think one time he did randomly show up um, when he showed up at that camp that one time. Oh, yeah. Um, that was a bit random. But uh, going back to Walter's point, like, if it wasn't for Roboku, Token would still just be in the forest, probably. So, I don't think you could fault him too much for having a pawn like that. Yeah, but it just feels like plot... Or, like, you know, I'm not saying he shouldn't be counted, but, like, it feels like, you know, without a Hogan, like, it's just, like, a singular depend... It feels like it, a lot is depending on Hogan. Let me, let me put it this way. I think Roboku has managed to put Hogan in a position to succeed every time, right? pretty much get the one-on-one -on -one duel with enemy general. Mm. Whereas for a lot of other generals like Osin, he pretty much just tells Shin to, and Moten, here, take your army, go do X, <laughs> Y, and Z. So even though they have, um, I think they have similar strengths, like especially Shin and Hoken and like pure brute force, 
where Boku is able to put Hoken and all his generals in mm-hmm. like a really position to execute. They just fail to do so most of the time. Well, do you, do you not think that is a weakness in itself to not be able to? No, I really think it's just. I really think it's just the plot armor. I know of, yeah, of the Chin Trio. Like yeah. the Chin Trio always punches above their weight. Yeah. Like the BS Awakening and stuff. Yeah. Just because of the yeah. protagonist. I think. I mean, on paper, I feel like Revokus, for example, against Osin. I think he really should have won. Um, taking out the right wing, he pretty much took out both Akko and Mako. Yeah. Like either directly or through his strategies that he yeah. told his generals. But the Chin Trio stepped up, whereas all the Zhao generals were. Lacking. I just think we're. I just think obviously, like we have <clears throat> Hara like trying to hype up certain or uh, certain general strategies, mm-hmm. especially like Kanki and like Osin. They're trying to be like always shrouded in mystery and then right. like this crazy reveal. So the, I, I'm, but I know the, I'm biased there, but I just feel like with the Revoku strategy, like you're right in that he places generals in really good places, but through plot armor or whatever Hara's like biases, it feel, I feel like his strategies aren't as like. Daring as Osen or Kanki's. Definitely not Kanki's. Um, and potentially, like, not as much as Osen. So he doesn't, like, he doesn't go for the high risk, high reward maneuvers. You, you don't think the coalition arc where he took a separate army to go straight across Kako Pass to go to Kanyo directly was in the high risk, high maneuver? I feel like he identified the weakness perfectly and salvaged a pretty shitty situation to the best of his ability. Were they, was Chin under siege at that point? No. no, so they were no. trying to break through the pass uh-huh. where all the generals were, and Riboku pretty much took like a separate detachment on a smaller pass. While oh, all of forces were right, right, and that set up the canyon. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, that was pretty, that was pretty daring, but I just feel like with recency bias, the Zell, like the most recent Zell arc, was just not as daring on Riboku's part. Um. And again, that's like the only arc without Hoken. And at that point, I think Riboku was that was Hoken, Hoken was like Hoken was, was there. Yeah, yeah was there. he was trying to set up the Hoken fight, right? So yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not saying he's like totally like you know predictable, but I just feel like Osen in most capacities um, is quite the contender there, for the best general so far. So one thing I want to add to this is how much do you factor in his like one v one ability into this? Um, he hasn't shown too much. Yeah, yeah, none, none at all because he doesn't use it. Yeah. It's like how Osen, you know, he's never one v one because yeah. he doesn't need yeah. it. He yeah. can win without it. Yeah. yeah. Himself. Okay, on the Osen part, I really think Osen just has superior underlings. Like both Kanki and Yotadawa, who mm-hmm. are also great generals. Yeah. And once again, like the Chin Trio, who can punch above their weight. Yeah. Versus Rapokus, who's like best general. Is probably like Kisui. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe Hoken, depending on how that much you value the one v one. Yeah. All right. I think I think we've talked about this enough. How are you guys feeling numerically? More convinced? Less convinced? I'm I'm a little more convinced. I'll give a Delta a plus one to. Nice. Two, yeah. yeah. I think yeah, I, I stay more or less five. in the same spot. Like I, I already yeah. think he's he's pretty good. So. Yeah. Right, yeah. Um. The only other person I could even consider contending against him is Osen. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, cool. We've started with some relatively lukewarm takes. Where it's about to get hotter. <laughs> you know, Kenta, throw out your thriller bar. Yeah, take. <laughs> some pressure going in. <laughs> so we'll see about that. All right, my take is that thriller bark is almost completely unnecessary to One Piece, uh, and is also the worst arc in terms of plot significance. 
Okay, I give it a two out of five for especially the second part. Yeah. I don't think it, it could be the worst arc in terms of possibility. That's like a pretty heavy claim. Yeah. I think three out of five. Um, for me, I actually do like Thriller Bark. We can get more into it later, but I just think in terms of pure hotness, I've, I've heard a lot of people say this before about Thriller Bark. Maybe not a lot, but like a non-trivial amount of people say that it feels like a filler arc. Um, that's what I stand on it. Yeah, I mean, so so what made me think about this is when I was looking at the main cast yeah. of the, the Straw Hat Pirates, like... What's the skeleton guy's name again? Brooke. Brooke. Yeah, Brooke. <laughs> Brooke is almost like... I think he's, you know, first of all, subjectively my least favorite character, but I think he's also, like, one of the more useless characters in terms mm. of, like, you know, um, what he actually contributes to the Straw Hats. Like, he doesn't, like, have mechanic power like Luke or uh, Frankie. You know, he doesn't have, like, um, the stone-reading abilities like Robin. Um, and he's not an OG, so, you know, there's no, like, sentiment there. Um, and, and, yeah... <laughs> <laughs> Poor guy. That might be another hot day. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So it just made me think about his origins, obviously. Yeah. Going back to Thriller Bark. For sure, yeah. And then, like, if you think about it, like that, the big baddie in Thriller Bark was uh, Moria, right? Like the Shichibukai, yeah. who you know we've already seen a crocodile takedown with the Shichibukai, mm. and you know even after the takedown, like nothing really changes with the Straw Hats outside of like you know Zoro having that really hype scene with Kuma. You know where he takes like where he basically shows like his allegiance to to Luffy, which was pretty awesome. But like outside of that, like we don't learn much about the One Piece world. We don't learn much about like the New World or anything, or um, you know, really get direction to where to go next. Um, and yeah, I just think overall, like once you look at the takeaways from that arc, you don't really need it. And it's a great adventure arc, but you know, in terms of like. When, you know, people ask for which arcs that you can skip, I think Thriller Bark is strongly at the top for me. So, yeah. So, I think for me, in terms of, like, pure plot significance, I think it's tough to fully discount that due to the introduction of Kuma. Um, and I think the character development we get with Zoro taking on the pain, I think, as the, the right-hand man, that was a pretty big step for him. Um... Also, to add, there, there's little bits of lore from it, which I feel like ended up being more relevant going forward, like Ryuma's sword. Um, and then with Moria being a Shishibukai, I think his character also was an interesting contrast to Luffy's in some way, where he was like this, like what, rivals with Kaido back in the day, like pretty top tier. Also like pretty goofy guy, but like a little less... Le not as much ambition and aim. So I feel like that contrast against Luffy, where they both kind of rely on their uh, crew, but in, in different ways, was pretty cool to see. Um, and I just enjoyed it. I thought it was a really funny arc. Uh, a lot of the characters were hilarious. There was like the invisible dude, which was pretty fucking funny. Uh, Moria himself, I really liked. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I just enjoyed it. And mm -hmm. I did think there was bits of... Um, there wasn't anything crazy, like a poneglyph reveal or anything like that, but uh, I think it was like a good transition into what was next. Well, let me touch on like the the Moria history with Kaido yeah. and the and the beast parts because I think that is arguably the most significant part of it, mm -hmm. where mm -hmm. we could have seen a chance to see into like the Yonko like power, mm -hmm. but like from what I remember, like 
Mario doesn't talk about it that much aside of him getting really mad yeah. when Kaido gets mentioned, right? Yeah. And in the next arc in the Mangrove Forest, like, we already talked to Rayleigh and get a lot of, like, the, you know, the Roger context. Right. Like, we get, like, a huge, just, like, history dump there. Yes, yeah. And then, and then like, the, like I said, with the Luffy, you know, kind of, or uh, the Zoro showing allegiance to Luffy, like, we kind of see that already, like, in the post-time skip, where, you know, they get, you know, destroyed in the mangrove forest by uh, the marines, mm-hmm. and then they, like, go off and train, right, for two mm-hmm. years. So it seems kind of like, you know, kind of a warm-up to what happens in, you know, the next arc, and I think it can just re-roll into it. I see what you mean, but I see, I guess you could say that you could put those bits later down the line, but then I think you could almost do that with most of the series in general, right? Like, you could, like, be like, oh, this happened here, but it could happen there. So, I think that Zoro bit, that really elevated his character. I think it made a strong distinction between him and and the rest of the crew, to me, as the right-hand man, um, and as the go-to guy. So, I think that was a pretty strong bit for his development. Yeah, I think one point that, uh, one more minor point that you guys might not mention is Lola and Big Mom's relationship as well from Thriller Barks. Like, mm, it, after in, introducing the Yonko pretty much in the post endings lobby, I think Thriller Bark gave more insight, like the small trickle of information about the Yonko. Mm-hmm. And I think when, I, when you say worst, I feel like just the fact that Brooke was introduced and that he's a crew member by default, makes it not the worst arc in terms of plot significance because we got a crew member in the Straw Hat. I want to defend Brooke a little bit because I think during Whole Cake Island, <laughs> he sort of came into his own, you know, like he fought against Big Mom, managed to steal the copy of the Road Poneglyph, and was all around a pretty badass character. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, uh, again, I think the Polyglyph, I think... Robin has enough plot or like character significance mm-hmm. with it. I think she, she's already done like the spy stuff, right? Or like mm-hmm. going undercover. Um, so yeah, I think Brooke has, has, you know, has some accomplishments to his name and hope, like, he definitely should as like a member of the Straw Hat Pirates. But just because Brooke was added, I think, I think this is like a chicken and egg thing where like because he's added, he's like, this is like inherently an important arc. But like once you look at his accomplishments, like, relative to the other, like, Straw Hats, you know, even, like, the bottom tier, like, <laughs> like, Frankie, or, like, you know, I guess Jinbei, pretty, pretty bottom tier, tier Jinbei, yeah, yeah, bottom tier, in terms of, like, oh, you're not talking strength, yeah, yeah, I'm talking, like, Luffy, uh, or the Straw like Hat significance, Pirate, yeah, yeah, significance, like, you know, you know, it's hard, it's hard, for, I can't name another arc that, um, that, I think can be easily discarded as the remark because as you said, it's not like I could. You could definitely like always move around, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of elements. Mm-hmm. But like for this one, it's the easiest to do, mm-hmm. and it's for me, it's the seamless, most seamless to do. All right, what about this kind of argument? Yeah. It's the I think it's the last time we see pretty much each of the crew have one v ones. Okay. That, that's it. Like oh. it's, a, it's a place for people to shine. Like you know, Usopp got his one v one against Persona. Anami got one. You know, Zoro yeah. versus yeah. Ryuma. Like. Yeah. Ever since, it's been a lot more Luffy-focused, mm-hmm. post-time skip, you know, and then it's been, the as the enemies have gone stronger, the crew hasn't, the weaker members of the crew haven't had their chance to shine, but Thriller Bark really gave everyone the opportunity, and then there was a team up against Oars, mm-hmm. two at the end, yep. so just some that solid crew sweet. time. 
Yeah, but like that can just be yeah, a skips. filler anime, you know? Like that's like a classic Naruto Shippuden. <laughs> I also think that's not as much of a vote vote in favor of Tiller Bark, as much of a detractor of like yeah. the future arts of like why. Yeah, let me say yeah, that, like, it's a great adventure art. Like we we get to see a lot more depth with like Zoro especially, but mm-hmm. like you know all the zombies are really funny, like Moria, mm-hmm. and like the whole <clears throat> like vibe is like very I think unique. Right. Um, but. When you when I think when I think about One Piece as the entire adventure arc with them getting across the red line and everything like the grand scheme of things, I feel like it's very skippable. And yeah, like I'm not saying Brooke doesn't need to be on the strong price. Like I I lean towards that, but like I'm not declaring that. I just think you know when I trace back to like Brooke, like I don't. There's not much there that I can pull from as much as like you know the other. Yeah, I, I guess <clears throat> to pile on to Brooke a bit more uh, is is I do feel like his special specialization as a musician is pretty underutilized. Yeah, um, yeah. Out of all the characters, like when I'm thinking about what they do, it's like pretty strongly presented and, and it's usually recurring, right? Like Chopper's always doing some yeah. new medical stuff. Like Frankie's getting upgrades to the ship going. Nami's yeah. clutch. Like Robin only becomes more significant. Yeah. But his music hasn't really had much real significance to the crew like it's yeah. not never been like a huge morale thing yeah like during um, the time skip he just became a musician like yeah, I mean, yeah like a, he became like a rock star yeah, right? rock star, yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of funny yeah. but yeah yeah i think maybe just as a by virtue of being introduced much later than the other characters it's not as much time yeah. to develop right True. um and screen time gets split yeah yeah all right anything more you want to add Penta? Nah, i think uh i think i've laid out Alright, I think, I think I'm a little more convinced. I'll, I'll bump it up to 3 out of 5. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I like your argument about um, the bits, about it being like a good adventure arc. So it's, it's more like fan service in that sense, right? Where you see a lot of the stuff you want to see, but that didn't necessarily move the plot significantly forward. So that was interesting. I didn't think about that. In my mind, it is a super fun arc, but that is kind of your argument, right? Like, that mm-hmm. it's just a fun arc. So... So what'd you get? <laughs> I was already sitting at three out of five. I don't think it moves up significantly more. Maybe a bit. Like I'll bump you up like half point on that. <laughs> but the boy Zoro, I can't put it up too high just because yeah. that. I think that Zoro bit was so badass. It is, it is one of the best. It, it was. To your point, one one last thing is it was a little like shoot in with, with Kuma just showing up out of yeah. nowhere. Um. So yeah, there's that. There's that much at least. Like I guess you could say it could have been transplanted into um the Sabaudi. Uh, archipelago yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Alright. But yeah, I guess continuing the trend of One Piece arcs uh, as a as kind of like a counter to saying that Thriller Bark is bad. <laughs> <laughs> One of my takes here is Skypea as a top five One Piece arc. Ooh, um, I, I give it a two out of five. <laughs> I also give it a two out of five. I think, yeah, I also give it a two out of five. Just because if it wasn't in Thriller Bark, I would put it. <laughs> I would put it bottom three. Yeah. So I just want to quickly spit out five arcs where I think it's better than um, Skypea. So okay. I think undebatably, Annie's Lobby and Water Seven. Okay, yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Marie Ford for sure. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think any of the recent arcs like Mono or Whole Cake Island? I don't think so, actually. I don't actually. think so, no. Over Skypea? Right. I, I personally don't think so. That's, that's I mean, I, yeah, I don't think it's clear, but... Wait, are you... Is that uh, Prison Break? Impel Down? Yeah, I think Impel Down is actually... Uh, uh, I, I, I don't think that highly of Impel Down. You don't think it's better than Skypea? 
I don't think it's better. Ah, uh, I think it's better than Sophia, <laughs> but yeah. I wouldn't put it in my top five. Oh, oh, oh yeah, yeah, we're thinking about top, top, top five. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, I'm putting it. Uh, Arabasta in my top five. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And then I might even put Logetown in my top five. Well, for me, I would probably put uh, Wano in my top five. Mm. Mm. So sad. <laughs> Any of those that don't. I don't like Wano as much. I mm. wouldn't put Logetown in there. Um, so I view Water 7 and E's Lobby as like one arc, basically. So that kind of we just combine uh, the arcs. makes the list a little <laughs> It's like it's pretty much the same, right? Like transitions into each other. I, I wouldn't really make that a very distinct arc split. But for me, like I, the ones which I think of which are really up there for me, I like Marine Ford. I like Water Seven slash Jenny's Lobby. I do like Alabasta. And then the other ones I can think of off, off the top of my head off that are Skypea and uh, either Impel Down or the Sabaudi. I like I like oh, those two. He, what about Arlong Park? No, not no. as good as those ones. I feel like it was too. Um, uh, Nami's backstory was good and like good OG add to the team, but just in terms of the scope of the arc, it didn't really hit for me as much. And then I'm assuming not Whole Cake Island as well. No, I wasn't a huge fan of Whole Cake Island. What about Zoe? I feel like Zoe was actually a really good arc, a mini arc. Zoe? So many reveals in such a short amount of time. Like the hype just escalated so much in Zoe. Yeah, is it, maybe there's just some bias of the. The arcs I read, you know, in more of like a pound fashion as opposed to like a week over week fashion. I think that actually has a lot of impact. Um, but I don't know. Overall, I feel like the post time skip arcs, none of them have been amazing to me so far. Like they've been good, but uh, and that, that goes with Zoe as well. Like I, I do like the ones I mentioned better still. So. Alright, give us the take for Skypea. But actually, first, to clarify a question when you say Skypea, do you include the whole Sky Island saga, including Jaya? Or are you just saying after they get to Skypea? I'm including, like, Sky Island stuff. Like. So we're talking about when they were in Jaya as well, like beating Blackbeard, fighting um, Bellamy the first time? Oh, uh, not fully. Not fully that, actually. No, no, no. I was only no, thinking no, about no. when they actually... No, no, no. So, actually, so, so just they... kind of the bit of them, like, discovering the lore of, like, the Sky Island yeah. and all that kind of... I think that that's an important okay. part of it, actually. So, post knockup stream... And just, yeah, like roughly around that time when they're learning about the concept yeah. of the Sky Island and okay. learning about the all stream right. and all go, that. Go, go for it. Yeah, so That's I think great. the main reasons I think of Skypea as a top arc is one, I think it expands the world of One Piece a lot. It adds like a lot of uh, rich lore to the universe. And I think that's one big appeal of One Piece is like the diversity of lands and uh, adventure that the characters experience. I think Skypea is like really top tier for that kind of mystery of like, oh, does this thing exist? Um, and then they're seeking it out and when they finally get there and discovering what it is. I think that is pretty quintessential to One Piece. So I think it, it that arc represents that maybe the best of all the other arcs that we've seen. And I think it had a lot of significance in terms of the story as well with some of the Poneglyph reveals um, and learning more about some of the weapons. And I think Edel, was a pretty dope villain overall like he was pretty menacing initially and like the way he was introduced with like the random lightning flashes and the judgment and all of that it, it really felt like um he was a villain that was built up pretty well throughout the arc um i one thing i didn't like super strongly was the fact that he was kind of like a perfect foil for or sorry luffy was like the perfect foil to him but in some ways it was cool to see because you had like a really strong character that um, otherwise 
might have not been able to be beat, but then like Luffy as the protagonist had some edge on him. Um, but I liked Enel's powers. I, basically, I liked the buildup of the lore a lot throughout the whole arc. Like, the, it felt like there was layers of mystery that you were peeling back from discovering the Sky Island to begin with to discovering who this, like, god was, basically, and just learning more about all, like, the, the different race of people that lived there, basically, right? And all of that amounting into the Poneglyph at the end. It, it felt like it just captures a lot of what One Piece is about. Uh, I think your first point around the expansion of lore is a reason I don't like it. Interesting. Is because, like, it seems really... It felt a little too much, like, jumping the shark for me. Mm. Like, obviously, I'm not talking about, like, realism here, but, like, you know, the fact that they, like, go up into the sky, and then, you know, they there's all this, like, rich lore around it, as you described, and then they come back down, and for, like, the rest of the series, like, it's barely mentioned. And I think um, <clears throat> a good execution of this is with like the mermaid um like the mermaid arcs anything that's related to the mermaid arcs because like they continually reference it mm. with, like neptune and like you know um uh what is the mermaid mermaid princess's name like you know or yeah orohime is like plot significance whereas with skyline island yeah they pick up the polygraph and like then they just it's never mentioned again uh so it it like feels really out of place for me even though like Again, as a side side quest, I think it was like really fun to read. Hmm. So I actually disagree with you there, Kenta. I love that it sort of came out of nowhere. Sort of showed all the cool stuff in the grand line that us readers didn't know. My main disagreement with your argument is actually the antagonist. I thought Enel was a pretty shitty antagonist after mm -hmm. reveal. One is Luffy's the perfect counter, which we already talked about. Yeah, yeah. Um, two is sort of just like a caricature of like a like an ignorant villain. Um, and then all his underlings were sort of super poorly designed as well, in my opinion. Mm. Like the four priests that he had under him, mm. I can't even remember their names. Yeah. I think in contrast to Alabasta, you know, Marine Ford, like Kolkik Adamwana, like pretty much every other antagonist crew mm -hmm. in the series, it really falls short for me, which is why I dislike the arc. So your main argument is like you didn't like the structure of the villains, basically, themselves. Yeah, um, I mean, I think... The initial discovery in every island is a relatively short part of the arc. You know, it's like 10, 15 chapters. Yeah. A lot of it is the confrontations and the 1v1s with the antagonist crew. Right. And I think just as a collective, Enel and his underlings felt severely oh. short, especially after, you know, Alabasta, where we had Thriller Bark. I'm mm. oh, sorry, not Thriller Bark. Uh, we had Crocodile and his numbers. And in contrast to a lot of other crews throughout the manga. I think his, the underlings were okay. Like, I like the priests. I do agree. I didn't like the fact that Enel, like, like we mentioned, got beat by Luffy. Just off the virtue of him being rubber. But you're right. I think the arc did focus more on the adventure and the discovery. And I think that's the main thing that sticks out to me with it. As kind of a contrast to, like, a more traditional shonen arc, which is more just based on the fights and based on who that... And, like, kind of relies on the dynamic between the main character and the enemy in just, like, a physical fashion. But the fact that there was a lot of, there was almost like another world. There literally was like another world and um, ecosystem up there, right? Like the concept of a god uh, that they were working with. Well, it was pretty sick to me overall. I, I also don't think there was that much emotional weight to this. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like with, uh, like with Thriller Mark, there was a lot more like, you know, humor in it. And like the whole concept of zombie was pretty wacky. Whereas Skypea, mm -hmm. I think... I think Alabasta was like pretty, 
pretty much like right before it or like right yeah. yeah so we already got like the whole like you know slaves being freed from a evil mm. tyranny like you know plot line so like the emotional weight you know like you know when uh, luffy rings the bell in the sky and like the little box guy you know is you know crying like it's not all there for me mm. so like that's why like this like side excursion in general didn't really what well, didn't really sit memorably memorably mm. with me and also the characters didn't see that much growth i think nami had quite a bit of growth just because like of her leather powers and i forgot where she was exactly right in her power skill set but like you know i think she has some some growth there but like the rest of the characters like yeah i don't remember the showdowns i don't remember the um i don't remember like what they overcame really I do think it was a good touch that a lot of the characters had a chance to shine a bit of the main crew throughout the arc. Like, they got split up and everything. And I, I felt it was a little too easy. Like, to add on to uh, your emotional weight, I just want to add on one thing to you. Like, mm-hmm. for Alabasta, we had Vivi, you know, who was a huge mm-hmm. part of the crew. For Annie's Lobby, we had Robin. Right. And then, for, like, all the future arcs, you know, the characters themselves are super invested. Right. Whereas, in this arc, Skypea, it was completely, like, a foreign land, no real connection to any of the characters. Um, I'm sorry, what were we talking about before? Uh, each of the characters having... Oh, yeah, the, the fights. Yeah. I think it was too easy for them, in contrast to Alabasta and Annie's Lobby, mm. where each of the characters really got pushed to the limit and had to evolve. Got it. You know, Skypea, especially Luffy, he sort of just went in. Yeah, yeah. Was a but even, like, Zoro and Saji, I remember, had relatively easy fights after Alabasta. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I won't disagree with you guys that the fights weren't the shining part of the arc for me overall mm-hmm. in terms of like the difficulty and the growth achieved there but i did like that each character had kind of their unique bits that you saw nonetheless mm-hmm. um and i guess the point that i just really like about this one is it uh it focused a lot on the exploration and just going back to the fact that it's like a pirate manga i think that it's it stuck out to me a lot as just like exploring cool lands like you always hear about like Elbath and like the fishman island and all these other cool parts of one piece so i think uh, Oda does a good job of like building up that mystery and hype, and I think Skypea was just a good example of that one. Yeah, let me make my last argument against Skypea, which is the pacing. I think it was paced really slowly, mm-hmm. and we forget about it, but it took, the arc itself took 66 chapters. Uh, Alabasta, for example, it only took 63, and Eddie's Lobbies only took 56, mm-hmm. and IMO Skypea definitely did not need 66 chapters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that... That, yeah, may, yeah, that's hard to say. I think maybe if I was reading it in a weekly fashion at that time, my opinion could be very different. But that's one thing that, that I always think back when I compare current arcs to older arcs is the, the nature in which you're reading them. Um, but yeah, it's on the long run, no doubt. Alright. Any, any final words? How are you feeling, Kenta? Man, I might have to give this a minus one. <laughs> <laughs> like, I was not going to lie. Now that I've rehashed it. It remains yeah. hot. Yeah. yeah it, remains, it remains in my, like, bottom three. <laughs> so, and, you know, as that One Piece arc, like, obviously, adventure is a huge part of it. And he, and even then, I didn't really like the way the adventure mm, was yeah. executed. I think, I think top five for me, I just don't see it mm-hmm. in my top five. It like, really lists it out. I mean, like, seven arcs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I'll, I'll keep it at a 2 out of 5. Yeah. Or yeah. All right. All right. Let's take a quick break. All right. We'll, we'll be back with some hotter takes. It's, it's only getting hotter from here. It's yeah. only getting hotter. It's heating up. <laughs> All right. See y'all. <laughs>
And we're back. Alright, let's continue on the theme of One Piece. My next take is Mihawk is the most overrated character by the community and is definitely a tier below the Admirals. So, when you say a tier below the Admirals, who are you putting him in line with exactly? I, I think he is like similar to Marco. You're saying like a first Yeah, like uh, the first, first commander. commander. Maybe like the best of the first commanders. But I think he would lose a levy one to, to an Admiral. Like, what level of difficulty? Probably like high difficulty. Okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll, okay. I'll give him some respect. <laughs> give me awesome. Alright. What number are you guys giving this? I give it a 2 out of 5. I think that that's pretty hot. I think he's definitely handedly stronger than like 1st Division commanders, just based on a tiering system. Um, based on the acclaim of him being, you know, world's strongest swordsman, like most hype Shishibukai, uh, known to have been Shanks' rival. That, that bit's a little debatable uh, due to it being in the past, but I think he's close to the Admiral tier. I, I might not agree that he would beat an Admiral necessarily, like handedly or anything like that, but I think he's on the same tier as him. I, I give it a 2 out of 5. I think, I pretty much agree with weaker than Admirals, but I don't know about overrated, but... I think I can be persuaded by research because there's not a lot of like uh, like showdowns and character depth with swordsmen. I feel like at like the very highest tiers, and this is the fact that I think Mihawk is strong, like very handily better than Zoro right now for sure. And Zoro is like arguably like you know at the level first level commanders. I think might put Mihawk at like close to Admiral level. So, I think, yeah, that's for that reason, for the latter, you know, the most overrated character aspect, I'll give it a 2 out of 5. It's pretty hot take. So, Walter, let me ask you this. Do you think <clears throat> Luffy can beat Mihawk right now? I do, actually. Ooh. Ooh. I think that that's hot. Alright, let, right, so yeah, let, yeah, yeah. let me elaborate Please. a little bit. So, first I'm going to start by talking about Mihawk's on-screen feats, which is a small amount, but I think it'll tell more, a bigger picture. And then, um, I'll talk a bit about, like, Mihawk's reputation and sort of hype in the series, both as Shanks' rival and the world's strongest swordsman. So just in terms of feet, we've really only seen him go all out at Marineford. And not even all out. Yeah. I think the one thing that made me think Mihawk was relatively weak at Marineford was his inability to defeat Buggy. Now you could argue, you know, Buggy was the perfect counter. You could argue that Mihawk wasn't trying super hard. But I think any top tier character, you know, just through hockey would have been able to completely shatter Buggy. I don't, I don't think that's debatable. And two, is his inab really his inability to completely kill Luffy um, when he was, you know, Luffy was like dancing around on the ice. I think now, once again, you could always argue Mihawk wasn't going all out, but I think the point I'm trying to make is any high tier like Admiral, like we saw the Admirals completely stomp Luffy and definitely at least be able to hit him without going all out and sort of just sleepwalking. So I think there's a certain level of ability that, you know, Admirals Yonko demonstrate, and even when they're not trying, they're able to defeat weaker characters super easily, and Mihawk did not show that during Marineford for me. Uh, I don't think that point is as strong as as you are kind of, like, stating it to me, because there's plenty of showdowns between, like, Big Mom and, like, in, uh, in, the, in the most recent uh, line of arc, like, between Big Mom and, like, Usopp and Nami, right? Where it's kind of, like, almost like a comedic thing. It's, it's, I think it's less about, like, them trying and more about, like, the comedic aspect about Buggy, you know, becoming this, like, legendary figure from Rainford. And also, like, <clears throat> um, I forgot what the exact context was with the Luffy showdown, but, like, him kind of, like, skating around on ice and just kind of, like, 
where, getting away. Where did Big Mom fail to defeat Usopp or Nami? It wasn't like defeat, but like basically Big Mom was like chasing um, uh, Usopp and Nami um, with the uh, little kid that gives up the uh, the dango balls. I don't talk about like she was being she was chasing them throughout uh, Kaido's castle in Onigashima. Ah, uh, okay. Right. So like it's not like, like again like. They're not, they're not both necessarily, like, super serious. Like, it's almost a comedic encounter. But that's, like, how I saw the Marine Ford showdown with, like, Buggy and Mihawk. It's kind of... And, like, I think it almost, almost speaks to how good Mihawk actually is because I think Oda was kind of using it as this comedic thing of, like, mm. holy shit, Buggy. Like, you know, remember Buggy? Yeah. Like, against <laughs> Mihawk? Like, oh, that's funny, <laughs> I think to add to that point a bit, um, the Shishibukai at Marine Ford in general didn't really seem to give that much of a shit. From what I could tell. And I think it goes back to them, even though they're like contracted by the government, it, it's more of like they're just trying to do the bare minimum to, to get their check and like get their protection. Like, I don't think any of them are super invested in uh, championing the government's efforts. Like, I don't think we saw like too much of a strong like effort, at least, from any of them. And I think out of the Shishibukai, Mihawk seems to be the less attached to that role. Um, or like, you know, Feels and feeling strongly about yeah. he doesn't even have like a crew like he just does his own thing really at the end of the day yeah um, so i think he was just kind of there to be there um and then he just wanted to like try out some things and maybe like see what like with luffy maybe like he was interested in him right yeah see what he's like i like i still re-emphasize the point that even if they're not trying i still think high tiers are able to completely stop you know like luffy level opponents especially pre-time skip and also another point from like uh, Marine Ford is he was stopped by Vista, who's like the third or fourth strongest commander on like you're depending on how strongly you think of Ace versus Vista. Mm -hmm. And I think you know any admiral would be able to defeat Vista pretty handily, even without trying, so to speak. He was um, a swordsman, right? Yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So let me let me talk a bit about like the implied hype and why we think Mihawk is so strong, yeah. Yeah. which is Shanks and the world's strongest sword in the title. Yep. So let me just talk about Shanks' timeline a little bit. So him and Shanks, they dueled 12 years ago at this point. And we know that Shanks has never dueled Mihawk since losing his arm, which was 12 years ago. So which is the last time that they were like equal mm -hmm. in terms of, so to speak. And we know Shanks became a Yonko four years pre-time skip. So like six years before the arc. So I actually think Shanks got a lot stronger from when he met Luffy to becoming a Yonko. Yep. One, because Shanks was just wandering around the East Blue. Like, he lost an arm to a Sea King, which is pretty unheard of for, like, Yonko-level strength. Um, so I do think, like, that title of Shanks rival is super outdated and doesn't mean he's anywhere close to Yonko-level from the timeline. Two on the World's Strongest Swordsman title. This is also sort of a, a mini hot take in itself. But I think we have an inflated view of the title because Zoro, who's super central to the story, wants that title. A lot of strong characters, even if they use swords like Rayleigh, Fujitora, you know, Big Mom, they don't care about the title at all. Like, we haven't really seen another strong swordsman yeah. that's above mm -hmm. um, YC1 level. I think the strongest swordsman that probably cares about the title might be like Shiryu of the Rain, who's at best, you know, a Yango Commander 1 to Blackbeard. Mm -hmm. So that's why I think the title in itself implicitly doesn't mean much. Like, all the other strong characters with swords have not been interested in going after the title or challenging Mihawk at all. They're more of aiming just for, you know, to be, like, the strongest, the Pirate King or, like, the Fleet Admiral at that point. So, but well, one thing to mention is, like, in terms of sequencing of character reveals, um, like, we haven't seen Mihawk go anywhere near All Out, right? 
Uh, yeah. And do you think it would make sense to save up a character that has had relevance throughout the story? Um, so, and to show him maybe in the future go all out, but then to have him be like a lot weaker than you expect him to be at that point. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, would it yeah. really make sense to reveal yeah. someone yes. who's like first, like, you know, as strong as like uh, a first division commander, but like at that point in the future, right? Like, yeah, yeah, I yeah. just would lose a lot Power of power. So yeah. I... I know what you mean. Just like yeah. from his role in the story, exactly. you think he has some implied strength. Exactly. So let me counter this argument. You know how recently um, Oda revealed Weevil? Yes. Like he's the new warlord. The fake, uh, yeah, the like Whitebeard Son, supposedly. Yeah, white beard son, yeah. Like he's probably not Admiral level, right? But he he was still introduced as a new warlord super late in the story. Back, right. you know, already when after Whole Cake Island, mm-hmm. when we already have these super strong characters. Mm-hmm. And two, I actually do think. Mihawk will potentially lose to Shiryu of the Rain mm. and set up like a Zoro versus Shiryu mm. final duel. So I don't think Mihawk is necessarily super strong just mm. from his implied position. But overall, there's nothing that I- I've seen that makes me think, you know, he's like Shanks rival, Admiral level, like whether it's the implied hype or his actual feats from Marine Ford. What's the most recent time we've seen him in the manga? Like people showed up at his doorstep, right? Yeah, and yeah, then we yeah, have just like the Admiral or not that the Marines trying the to Marines, capture right. him. Did, who, did anyone show up in particular? That no, we just saw a panel of him. Yeah, I don't Got think any animals showed up. It was just, I doubt it, yeah. yeah. Got so, it. So going back to your point, or that sad point brought up, do you think Luffy can beat Mihawk uh, right now? I actually do, yeah. Because I think, don't you think that Luffy will beat Kaido once he comes back? Like, he pretty much guaranteed to beat Kaido, right? Because... Wano Arc is going to be over, and at that point, I feel like he has to be able to beat Mihawk. Like, after his most recent loss of Kaido, he probably learned something, he'll eat some meat, he'll come <laughs> back, and then he'll 1v1 Kaido, just the way the story is going. Yeah. And then I think at that point, he'll definitely be stronger than Mihawk. I, I don't think it'll be a proper, like, 1v1 yeah. win, though, because I think Kaido, I mean, he's already been worn down a bit, and I think uh-huh. Yamato yeah. is going to continue to wear yeah, him yeah, down. Yeah, I agree. And if anything... I could see it being a tag team. Maybe like Luffy does the finishing blow, yeah. but I could also see like uh, you know Yamato like get like Zoro had that blow that cut him. Yeah, yeah. Maybe Yamato has like another blow that does something. Uh, There's an interesting theory I was seeing on this actually, and with Yamato's devil fruit, is some people are theorizing it's like a Kirin devil fruit, mm-hmm. which is like a mythical mm-hmm. creature uh, like a, that's a supposed to have like something. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. and that. So, supposedly there's some lore where that's like the only creature that can slay dragons or something like that oh. so that was some interesting bits uh, and of course Yamato being Kaido's yeah. kid I think there'll be some significance there in the in them beating Kaido mm-hmm. so which is why as much as I would like to see Luffy uh, obviously at some point take down a Yonko himself I just don't think he's there yet and I don't think it's gonna happen either the way it's progressing mm-hmm. Uh, okay, getting back more to like the Mihawk versus Luffy. Yeah. I think even like Luffy defeating a worn out Kaido uh-huh. is more impressive That's than impressive. anything no, Mihawk no, has That's shown. impressive. Like I would I would take like the Kaido with a million cuts from random people yeah. and uh, like maybe a few uh, big blows versus For sure. Mihawk. Okay, I agree. In terms of like objective feats. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't think Mihawk has great objective feats. Well, like, for sure. Let me let me frame it how I'm thinking. Yeah, is is like very strictly in terms of power ranking. I think Mihawk is better than Zoro, right? Because like a mentor, he has Conqueror's yeah, yeah, He's yeah. had Conqueror's Hockey for years, right? We don't know that. Well, we don't know that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, like probably. Oda started drawing Conqueror's Hockey like only recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, and I like he has to have it at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think the power level between 
uh, Mihawk and Zoro versus like Luffy and Zoro is I think pretty close, but like, but even if it is pretty close, let's say, right? Like I think all of us think that Luffy is almost at like Yonko level, right? Yeah. And Yonko level is all like basically like maps to like Admiral level. All right, sure. For the sake of this argument, let's yeah. just say Yonko, you know, slightly greater yeah, than so, Admiral. So, so I think like, same tier at least. Yeah. So like I kind of see I kind of see Mihawk as like a Marco level character in terms of strength, where he sits like you know, if not close to like Luffy, like um, like a little below Luffy. And I think for someone or for a character to have been at that stage for like all this time is I think pretty impressive. And I think he kind of deserves the hype. Especially like uh especially after like even all these like, you know, quote unquote swordsman characters like Rayleigh and Shiryu the Rain have been introduced. Like all this time Mihawk has been like this almost admiral level character just walking around without a crew also. Like the solo part I think deserves a lot of hype by its own. Like he's just walk going around on his throne uh that just like floats in the middle of the ocean. Wait, so you do so think Luffy can beat you? Know? Wait, so you just said he's around Mark level. Doesn't that just prove that he's weaker than Admirals and like YC one level? Yeah, Mark no, no. So, like, so to to reemphasize, I agree with you. He's weaker than Admirals. Wait, weaker level. than YC one level? No, no. Like, oh, yeah, ah, YC one. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was like, damn, dude, yeah, my like, boy Mark. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do Mark like that. <laughs> yeah, but I think, but I think he's not uh, overrated though for that reason. I, don't, I think people think he is pretty like stronger than Admiral. Like people are putting him like oh. final boss level with the cutie. Let me let me actually hmm. make one minor point on the solo yeah. point. I yeah. feel like as a result, there's nothing that people really want from Marco. Or sorry, yeah. from Mihawk, excuse me. And we know that for example, he hasn't fought Whitebeard, because that right. writing for he's like, I want to fight Whitebeard. He hasn't fought Shanks in ten years. I'm guessing he hasn't fought Kaido or Big Mom either from that. Yeah. So he hasn't really fought anybody strong. Yeah. And we know all the strong swords, but no we haven't seen anyone care for world's strongest. Yeah. Uh, swordsman title so no one's really going after him so he's sort of just chilling on his island on his reputation from dueling shanks and that title from like 12 years ago so i'm curious what what where do you see his plot significance being going forward i, I know you mentioned like shirio killing him like is that actually what you think will happen with mihawk like, i what's actually his role do think story? it will happen i think he'll lose to shirio and then he'll be able to face Zora. I, I well, think like Shiryu facing Zoro, Shiryu, yeah, like the, the final, title, yeah. yeah, the title, the Blackbeard versus Luffy, the final fight. I actually think it would be poetic if Blackbeard gets somewhat of a power down from Shiryu the Rain being killed by Mihawk, because like I think right now between the two crews, like Blackbeard crew, I think is clearly stronger. Yeah. In every single aspect. Compared to which crew? Compared to uh, the Strong Hands. Oh, for, for the, sure. for the very yeah. final oh, for sure, down, for sure. which is obviously Apparently, for almost sure. definitely going to be the two, those yeah. two crews. So I think what might happen is like Mihawk like cuts away Shiryu the rain to give them like a slightly even advantage, and then Zoro goes off on his own to take care of some business, and uh, I think that would be pretty poetic as well. But I think your Walter scenario is more. Yeah. So you're saying it would be a direct fight between Zoro and Mihawk? Yeah, yeah. Got because it. I think the whole swordsman thing has been built up from like, uh, when was he first cut down by Mihawk? I forgot. Like, like chapter fifty or yeah, something, something crazy like that, right? So I think it would be poetic. If it like, if they just you know went off and did their I, own thing. Yeah, I do think it would be sad if he got robbed of a Zoro and Mihawk fight. Yeah. I'm just kind of struggling to see exactly how it would work from a plot perspective. Yeah. Because I just don't see like Mihawk's kind of a good guy at this point, right? Yeah. So that so the him being killed by Shiryu from like a pure plot narrative perspective kind of makes sense, but. I, I hope Oda comes up with something that we're not seeing because uh, yeah, I don't yeah, want to yeah, see yeah. it happen like yeah. that. 
let's let's talk about it in a further podcast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, any final words? Um, I think I still think Mihawk is stronger than what you think he is, but I got a little more convinced about the overrated part. Yeah. Um, that bit about him being the most overrated character in the community. Me, Just because I'm trying number. to think, um, yeah, because I'm trying to think of other characters which are super overrated. So I was uh, coming in at a two out of five here, and I think I'll bump to a three out of five here. I, I also do a three out of five. I yeah. Think when you list it out, you know what he's actually done. Yeah. It's... His feats are bad. I just think there's too much yeah. narrative significance for him still. Mm-hmm. But but the most overrated part, like when you mentioned that some people think he's stronger than admirals, I for sure know people who do think that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I don't. Yeah. I don't think that. Yeah. So. I agree. All right, all right. We spent a lot of time on that. Yeah. Let's, let's pivot, Kata. All right. Uh, this is a. Uh... This is actually pretty straight, uh, straightforward for me. Uh, Shikamaru should have been Hokage after the, uh, you know, third ninja war instead of Naruto. So after uh, Kakashi. So also yeah, instead. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so not instead of Kakashi either. Not yeah, yeah, Kakashi should have been, yeah, but like after Kakashi. All right, I, I give it a one out of five. I think. Ooh, I think Darwin should have been should have been Hokage. All right. Uh, when I first saw this, I put three out of five. But after thinking about it more, I put it at a two out of five. Mm-hmm. And I think the main thing it came down to me for like what it came down to basically was i agree shikamaru has more like quote-unquote qualities of a leader uh he's got like you know better at creating strategy probably better at tactics and all of that which makes sense but i think the kage you basically just need to be the most jacked person in the nation right like you need to have like your figurehead has to be really powerful as what we've seen throughout the series because when shit hits the fan you need the kage to show up and like save everything in the metroverse so I think with that in mind, um, I think it's kind of hot just because Naruto is just like way stronger and also has good leadership qualities at that point yeah. in the series. I feel like we're underestimating Naruto a bit. I think he has better leadership than Shikamaru for sure. The way he's able to like get trust and unite pretty much all his classmates, the way mm-hmm. he's able to make connections mm-hmm. with all the ninja in his village. But go ahead, Kenta. All right. I mean, I have... I strongly disagree with almost all the opinions that have been laid out <laughs> so far. But so let me, let me let me take it first from like a practical slash like you know logical perspective of why mm-hmm. Shikamaru should have been, and then uh, secondly on like a spiritual slash like thematic level. Mm-hmm. So first of all, like in Shikamaru, like in the um, like the Ninja War, like he he took point after his dad was killed by a Juvi bomb, right? So he's clearly shown like he has logistical and like uh, strategic coordination. Mm-hmm. Like, on the largest scale. Like, mm-hmm. there's no war that's ever been mm-hmm. this big. And prob- I, and I haven't seen Boruto, but, like, will ever be this big. <laughs> I think it's safe to say. Right. So, and then, like, we, we've seen, like, Naruto, quote-unquote, grow from, like, the time skip and, like, all the loss that he's faced. Right. But in the end, like, talk no jutsu is, like, a thing for a reason, right? Mm-hmm. Like, he kind of, he has, like, extreme compassion for his enemies. Yeah. And, like, you know, he tries to, like, you know, resolve things right. as whatever, like, peacefully as he can. But, like... When it comes to, like, the practical elements of, like, how Shikamaru handles things, like, when mm-hmm. he um, he avenges, like, his mentor, and, like, you know, he takes point on all these, like, battles, like, these side skirmishes, and, like, tries to come up with a strategy to, like, uh, neutralize Juvi at the end. Like, we don't see that level of coordination from Naruto. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and also, to your point, aside of, like, the Hokage or, like, all the Kages having to be, like, OP, I think that's, like, what we've seen uh, with all the Kages so far, but, like, I don't think that's necessarily the case, especially with like some of the the um, uh, the sand sand kages. Like mm-hmm. I think they were really strong, but like they weren't necessarily 
they were like a little bit more crafty i think with their dudes it was like i think one of the mizukages had like optical illusions and things like that and i think there was a yeah and i, and I think 1v1 wise like you know maybe the kages were the best but all in all like i don't think it necessarily means like the kage has to show up and be like the muscle there so, so go ahead. yeah so that is my practical point so i can i can kind of stop there I think, to the practical point, the way I see it is, like, if you kind of do this as an analogy to a company, is you have Naruto as, like, a CEO, and then I think Shikamaru would be, like, a great COO or CTO, right? Like, someone who has this expertise and can bring it to the front, but maybe that doesn't necessarily have, like, that charismatic appeal that you'd want your leader to have. Uh, and by and charisma, charisma here, you could break into a couple of categories. It could just be, like, the natural ability to like garner friends uh, as Naruto has shown, but also just the ability for people to be drawn to you based on like your strength and like as a figurehead. Mm, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I can see the whole like recruiting part. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I think also one big thing that I missed out is like how, how Sasuke is handled. Mm -hmm. right? Like in the end, like Sasuke committed some like insane war crimes that could have toppled like the whole power right. structure of all the villages. Right. And, like, Naruto obviously wasn't Hokage. Like, Kakashi was probably yeah. responsible for handling that. But, like, Naruto doesn't really have, like, a strong strong answer to this. Mm -hmm. Like, to this, like... I mean, he's, like, a war criminal, right? Like... Right. Whereas uh, Shikamaru, like, when he's... When they're fighting the Jubi and pairing up, he's like, yo, I don't trust you at all. And, like, <laughs> he, he makes this clear, like, a couple of times. And I'm not... I don't remember... I mean, I think in the very end, they kind of, like, make up or whatever. But, mm -hmm. like, I feel like Shikamaru has, like, the more practical understanding that... It's a more reasonable thing. Yeah, sure. Naruto, like, I, I'm sure in Boruto they explore this a bit, but, like, Naruto's kind of, like, this idealistic, you know. Like, I think he's, I think Naruto would be, like, a great, like, CEO, but, like, mm -hmm. him making the decisions, uh, I just don't see it. So, but I think it's, it's a misnomer that the Hokage has to be the one making the decisions. That's why I think he's good as a figurehead. But then he could have, like, a good team of people working with him that help him do all that stuff. We haven't really seen too much, I guess, into, like, the actual office of the Kage. Yeah. Uh, in terms of, you know, the day-over-day -day operations and things like that. I mean, I guess we saw a little bit with Tsunade. But that was the closest thing. But she had a close uh, assistant. I forget her name. Shizune. Shizune, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, anyways, Walter, do you have something to say on that? Uh, I think I pretty much agree with what you said. Like, uh -huh. being a Hokage, you don't have to be the best tactically or strategically. You can delegate that to Shikamaru, as Naruto <clears throat> has done. But what Naruto has done, like, he's inspired the village. He's united the village. Mm -hmm. And I really think you're undercounting how important it is to have a strong Kage in your argument. You're pretty much the figure of the village, you're the strongest person. In the Shinobi world, people follow strength. Like, it's a yeah. huge part of their just culture and lifestyle. And having Naruto pretty much the strongest person ever as Kage is a huge boon to that. Um, also, Ri, how they handled Sasuke, didn't... Wasn't Naruto's um, decision even better, the fact that he was able to reform Sasuke and have a super powerful asset? as the village versus if Shikamaru had just executed Sasuke. What became Sasuke's role? Was he just like a rogue? He was, was just he like a rogue that reported to Naruto that he sort of like tried to protect. Mm -hmm. More like a Jiraiya role, I would say. Yeah, Got it. So like associated with the leaf. Yeah, but, yeah. He but was like, like a Anbu, like one of those like uh, undercover, undercover names. Got it. Yeah. I mean, you know, this, this kind of goes back to like Shikamaru being like, you know, crazy IQ like 5D chess. Like, <laughs> 
you know, I don't, I, I don't think he can be Naruto one v one in terms mm-hmm. of like, you know, in, in in any aspect or like in any environment. I mean, right. Um, but I think when it become, I think I'm kind of, I kind of understand the charismatic point. Like mm-hmm. Akage needs to be like a symbol head, but I just feel like Naruto was not like mature enough, like compared to like prior Kages. Mm-hmm. Like if you think about the prior Kages, they were all like, you know, obviously first and second founded villages. Mm-hmm. Third was like you know, critical, like, mentee to, like, the second... I don't know, because Minato wasn't that mature when he became Okage, but hold on. I want to talk about the IQ point a little bit. I actually think that makes Shikamaru even less of a candidate because he lacks empathy versus a lot of other characters. Like, he's too cold-hearted, whereas you want someone who's a little more empathetic, able to get... able to understand the different circumstances in a village and see them as humans rather than just, you know, like, chess pieces like Shikamaru... I'm sure it does. To Wait, I don't know about that because I think Shikamaru had that growth when he was uh, avenging Azuma and like you know had a lot more thoughts on family and like I think that that was where like Shikamaru went from like really like lazy like looking up at the clouds mm-hmm. uh, like kind of like a lazy genius to mm-hmm. type to like you know someone more passionate about their job and like mm-hmm. you know when he was playing chess with his dad or like Shogi with his dad he was kind of like dude like Shikamaru like this isn't enough like this is like family. I think that all that was instilled in him. And this kind of bleeds into, like, my, like, demand. It would have... Uh, I think Shikamaru would have been better because um, I think he saw, like, more significant growth. Like, obviously, Naruto with the protagonist and plot armor will see a lot of development, but, like, right. I think Shikamaru's growth was, like, more fundamental. And the Azuma arc was, um, like, probably one of my favorite arcs um, in Naruto, especially post-time skip. That was a good um, And then the way that I read kind of, like, Naruto's, like, deep compassion for the village is like it doesn't it doesn't like require a title to be the true hokage is a journey and the friends you make along the way kind of thing where like mm. you know it doesn't require the official title to be like a ho- like a hokage mm-hmm. like you know just the way that like his dad protected the village like he protected the village mm. so it doesn't really need to be like this super clean ribbon at the top um ending quick question slightly related is to, have any of you guys actually watched Red Boruto? I'm curious. I have not. I've read a little bit of Boruto. I, 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 does that give any insights into how Hokage Naruto is? I mean, for the sake of this argument, it, that's not factored in too much. I'm just curious. Yeah, I mean, I don't think so because we see the POV from Boruto right. who wants Naruto to be more of like a father figure. Yeah. Uh, doesn't really go much into the Hokage. I mean, it seems like, you know, the world's been at peace ever since for the sure. Fourth Ninja War. Sure. Yeah. No, no one's really doing anything. But Naruto has matured a lot in Boruto. Mm-hmm. Um, I think ultimately, Kenta, to your points, like, I I mean, I, I agree Shikamaru had to, has also had good development um, and that he did come around a bit on, in terms of being able to understand people more. And, like, he did display leadership, which I think inherently requires some level of empathy. Um, but I still think I stand by the points of Naruto being a better figurehead due to his like strength and his um, more personability. Gotcha. Yeah, let's uh, let's move it to ratings then. Uh, real yeah. quick though, before we move on from this one, who do you guys think was the best Hokage? Like not necessarily the strongest, because that's obviously Naruto. But who do you think was the best? I think third Hokage, just because of the sentiment and the sacrifice mm. that we saw him make. One of the most badass dudes I've seen on Orochimaru. I think him letting Orochimaru live and letting Orochimaru grow under his nose automatically disqualifies him. Oh. I actually think the second Okage was the best. Took care of the Uchiha clan really ruthlessly. 
created the military police, mm. sort of got that, rid of the idealism of the first Okage and created the organs that would allow true, the yeah. second Okage to succeed. Also, you know, taught the third Okage, taught a lot of important people like the elders and Danzo, and pretty significant himself. Okay, one last point I want to make about this is... One thing that I want to talk about is Shikamaru doesn't want to be Hokage. Naruto wants to be Hokage. I feel like you're missing this thematically where mm-hmm. like one person just wants it, one person doesn't. One person is better suited to be an underling like Shikamaru. And you know, he wants to have more of a family life, do all that good shit. And another person, uh, Naruto, it's been his dream since he was a kid. And he's grew grown into like a super cool Hokage. But that, like, that that point I think is strongly refuted by the fact that is through the Azuma growth. Like, that's, that's part of the growth. But I think the final nail in the coffin for that is, like, his dad entrusting him, like, command of the war. Obviously, that doesn't translate to, like, Okage promotion. <laughs> but, like, I think his last words from his dad literally being, like, I entrust this to you, Shikamaru. But his dad wasn't, like, a, a Hokage either, right? Even though he was the smartest person, probably, in the village. Right, and, right. Like, Shikamaru, pretty much Shikamaru matured was his dad. Yeah. So... I think we still fundamentally disagree on like what the role of the Hokage yeah. is mm-hmm. and what their duties are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess one last bit before we might move on from that is I think some people would argue a lot against the same. I mean, you made a, a leader wanting to be a leader, being a good leader. Yeah. Um, I think there's a pretty strong argument to be made that the best leader is someone who doesn't necessarily want that power or responsibility, yeah. but like takes it in earnest and, and still fulfills the role. Yeah. Okay, to be honest, I think that that argument is complete cap, but let's take <laughs> <laughs> That's a hot take, yeah. That's a philosophy. Yeah. Right. <laughs> philosophy takes. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah. Uh, what what number are you giving? Yeah, let's, let's really wrap this up. Yeah. I think I stick to two out of five. I don't think it's the hottest take in the world because, like, he's very reasonable, but I don't think I'd go 50-50 on it, so I, yeah. I'd stick up to it. I think I'll stick out one out of five. I think it's a pretty big hot take. I feel like... Yeah, Kali is a lot more than just pure tactical intelligence. Yeah. Gotcha. Alright, let's let's end it over to Saad. What's what's your final hot take, man? So this is jumping into a verse that we haven't really discussed much on this series, but it's a very popular one nonetheless. And we're going to Bleach. And my take here is Lukiora, who's Espada number four, is actually the strongest Espada. And the main reason for that being that he has the seg- Segunda Etapa to his, uh, was it Resurrection? Second, is what it's called? Second Resurrection. Yeah. Second Resurrection. I mean, I give it a 3 out of 5. I think I'm pretty 50-50 on this with yeah. him versus all the other Espada. Um, I will say I think it's impossible to know because he fought against like a form of Ichigo that we've never seen fight anyone else. So the comparison is a little hard to make. Yes. I agree. Uh, I think the fact that he's the only second resurrection, or I guess he's the only one that's capable of the second resurrection, puts uh, a lot of weight in this argument. But mm-hmm. comparing the comparing across the spotters, I think is was very difficult for me. So I, I'm kind of sticking with mm-hmm. Yeah, I I guess to elaborate a bit more on my arguments, it did seem like four and above were kind of like in their own tier. Like there was certain restrictions on them specifically. Like they couldn't release. In Las Noches, was it called? Uh, and they couldn't use like their Saros in a certain location. So they were kind of bucketed um, as one group together. Uh, and I don't think the feats from the top three were anything super notable. Uh, number two was the guy with the weird time powers where he just rotted everything that was near him. So it seemed more gimmicky than anything else. And it's his stance 
in the Espada seemed a lot due to his previous acclaim as like this leader of like king, yeah, king of like king. Uh, some certain set of hollows. Uh, number three was the Shark Lady. Um, also pretty strong, but I think she got beat pretty like reasonably by uh, what was the power again. It was like water. She manipulated water, basically. No, not nothing really special. Like, yeah, he, he lost in Katsuya. Exactly. I don't think he was. Exactly. I don't think he's like strongest. stronger than Bleach. Exactly. So I think that the main people you would look at are like Yami, who I think is pretty overrated. Agreed. Uh, uh, I don't even think the number zero is Cap. I think like mm-hmm. I don't know what that was. And then so the real one is Stark at number one. Yeah. Um, and I think the main argument Stark has is his speed, uh, like the fact that he can just like fire off a bunch of things at once. Like, He's pretty responsive when it comes to his reaction times and everything. But I don't think he had a very strong showing. Like, he eventually got beat by uh, just, like, a couple of interplay between some captains. Like, not really any strong Bankai usage against him and stuff. Like, it was more just due to a lasp in his uh, uh, in his attention, which I think is a trait of his character. So I think that holds him back a lot. Uh, so with all those things being said, Lukiyaro was just, like, absolutely stomping Ichigo. Until he turned into like that crazy pot armor monster. Uh, and even then, Ichigo didn't fully kill him. Like, he was still able to like come to his senses and like knock him out uh, at the end before fading away. So, I think with those arguments, Walter makes a good point that there's, there's obviously there's no way to conclusively know this, but I think the fact that it seemed like their feats among the top four were similar, and the fact that he had this extra gear, which should essentially be like another step function above, um, puts him above the other ones for me. Was, so was, like, all of his powers just, like, essentially, like, a brute force power-up? Just more regenerative abilities and he's... Regenerative ability, faster, stronger, like, pretty standard bleach fare, I would say. Yeah, (laughs) I just, when comparing to, like, I think the first spot that came to mind for contention was actually the Aging King. Mm. Aragon? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think his ability is pretty interesting in that it's like, it, it is kind of gimmicky, but like, yeah. I think it is like a quote unquote special power that I think I thought he was like secretly the strongest Espada. Because mm-hmm. I forgot how he was defeated by. Uh, yeah, he lost to Soifong. Yeah, Soifong. It was, it was like a kind of a thing where. <clears throat> he himself isn't protected from his own powers. Oh, right, So right. the way they beat him was they, like, swapped something, yeah. a part of his mm-hmm. body into him. And some, like, some gimmicky crap. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah gimmick yeah. victory for a gimmick character, so. Yeah. I just feel like, you know, if it was theoretically in a spot of showdown, like, I don't know if just brute force and, like, high regenerative abilities would have beat him, you know. So let me talk about your argument specifically, and especially Stark, who I think is the main contender for Strong Espada. One is, I think you're underselling Udatake and Sunsei a little Mm -hmm. bit. I think they're by far the strongest captains besides the captain commander. That's fair. With, like, centuries of experience more than anybody. Like, Sunsei was the next captain commander. Mm -hmm. They're pretty freaking strong, even without their Bakai release. And the two Mm -hmm. of them together, Mm -hmm. with their experience. And two... uh, he was already defeating Ichigo with his first release. Yeah. I think all of the like top-tier Espada could defeat Ichigo um, pre his like full Vizard form. And he he completely lost Ichigo when you know Ichigo went full Vizard. So I, I don't really know how strong second release Oikora is. 
Yeah, I, I just don't think we know, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, I, like, I was rereading all this earlier today, huh? and this quick aside, I feel like Bleach is a much better manga in a weekly fashion than in like a just read it in one go fashion because the pacing is too fast, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But anyways, uh, yeah. But to that point, basically, like I guess my arguments were mainly that we didn't see strong differentiators between the top fours uh, in terms of just like their feet wise strengths. Um, so I think the fact that they're and but the thing, one thing we do know is that resurrection is like a step function change from base. Yeah. Uh, so that's why I think the second resurrection is just another step function, and the fact that they're already on the same tier edges them, him out for me. So I disagree with you that we didn't see a difference between the top tier and spotter. I think from the matchups you can sort of tell, like one is, uh, Harabel lost to Hitsugaya mm-hmm. sort of in a one v one, and then Baragon lost to Soifang plus. The other Vizard, like the... Yeah, I forgot his name. The, the fat guy. guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like the the Hado Master. KFC guy. Yes. Yeah. KFC man. But yeah. Stark, he fought, like, Shotsu and you. Yes, yeah. Udatagi, yeah. who I think are, like, clearly the two strongest captains. For sure, yeah. And deserve that title. It was a bit of a fragmented fight, though. Like, he yeah. didn't only... Like, there was, like, a Wonder Weiss came through at some <laughs> point, and there was some other people. So I think, like, Ukatake didn't end up fighting him too much. And then... Yeah, it was a weird fight. You're right. It's, like, hard to, like, fully gauge it. It's just I didn't see anything from him which made me think, like, this guy's insane. Like, he just had some cool blitz feats of just, like, firing off, like, 10,000 arrows at once or something. Yeah. Um, so, if, if he was the strongest... So, to kind of, like, frame it a different way, if Ukoria was the strongest spotter, why didn't Aizen make him Sarah? So... He, he said Eisen didn't release, know yeah. about the second release. Oh, he said no one knew about the, the second release. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, I think that's another strong... That's another argument, at least yeah, in yeah, favor. Yeah. I mean, because if Aizen knew about it and he was still number four, that absolutely defeats the argument, yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, well, I guess you could say impossible to fully say. Um, I but think, yeah, I, I think the fact that there was like called out that it's a second resurrection, that no one knew and that he fought the main character, and that the, the top four were viewed in a similar tier... Uh, makes it seem that Lukiora was actually the strongest one. Yeah, I just think it's really hard because, like, we never see any matchups between his spotters. Yeah. So. Do you think he would have beaten Shrensei? No, I think if he went Bankai, no. Uh, not even Bankai, like, just Shikai. Because I, I think Bankai, Shrensei, like, is probably one of the strongest characters. What was his Bankai again? It was, like, a game. That was a Shikai, right? No, 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 no. His Bankai was even more of a oh, game. Oh, even more wow. of a game. There were like four stages or something. I don't remember exactly, but... Yeah, it was kind of confusing. It was... Shikai was also a game of, like around tag or something. Yeah. Like I don't think so. I think... To your point, I think uh, Hiroaku was pretty strong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just think Stark, yeah. Stark is a big question mark yeah. when it comes yeah. to showdown. Yeah, Stark is a good question mark. I feel like... Stark's mentality is an issue here, whereas yeah. Lukiora, I think, has a pretty good mentality. Like, it's just pretty cutthroat, and, like, mm-hmm. um, I think that it almost showed that that was a big factor for Stark as well, uh, losing, so. Mm-hmm. Alright, yeah. how are you feeling numerically? Uh, can't really, can't really say I'm sure in either way, so I'm gonna stick with three out of five. Three? I, I think I'm a little more convinced. I'll give it like 3.5. I don't think I'm ready to give it a four yet, but yeah. him versus Stark, I still feel like it's mostly a toss-up. Yeah. But we all agree that Yami's cap. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 That, that was such an asshole. Yeah. 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 And then Kubo didn't even bother to make it a super long asshole. Yeah. <laughs> he just, <laughs> he just yeah. got completely body. Yeah, <laughs> 
that was sad. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Um, I'm gonna go into my final hot take, which is another Naruto one, and that's like Kasame is underrated, and I think he's strong as Itachi. <laughs> one out of five. Very hot take. Right? I think the hottest take of today for me. Maybe not the hottest take, but <laughs> <laughs> but coming up soon. <laughs> Stay tuned. But um, yeah. one out of five for me as well. Like I think that's pretty hot. So. Let me talk about, like, I think among the community, yeah. uh, Atatsuki, they're sort of like a top three uh-huh. of, like, Itachi, Pain, and Obito. Mm-hmm. And, like, the next is, like, the mid-tier of, like, Deidara, Kasabe, whatever. Mm-hmm. But I think Kasame should be considered, like, with Itachi as the third slash fourth strongest member for Atatsuki. And um, here's why. So, I think in terms of feats, Kasame is pretty fucking strong. First of all, he defeated Killer B, who, you know, defeated Sasuke and almost defeated Sasuke and, like, his whole crew mm-hmm. of Taka. And pretty much, like, a pure 1v1 format. Like, mm-hmm. Killer Green together by Kage to tag team Kasame, which mm-hmm. I think is a better feat than anything Itachi has done, frankly. Um, part two is, with 30% of himself, he was able to force out the six gate from Kai. And then the next time you see him fight Kai, he lost his sword, Samehara, and he was still able to push Guy to 7th gate, even though Kasame was super tired after fighting Killer B. So overall, I think in terms of feats, he's actually more successful than Itachi. What, what are you guys' takes on that for, before I go into more arguments? So, you're saying the main feats he had... Defeating Killer, Killer B. B 1v1 is pretty fucking massive. I, I, think, I agree. That's a strong feat. And then into the fight against Guy, yeah, which he yeah. ultimately lost, but like forced him. Because I think... We saw Guy 8th gate defeating Madara. Like, <laughs> Guy 8th gate is, like, pretty much, yeah. like... We saw, we saw techniques, though, with the 8th I think the 8th gate is, like... Uh, obviously, yeah. they're all step on yeah, right. the 8th gate is just, like, an insane yeah, 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 But yeah. I agree, the 8th gate defeating Madara and 7th gate barely defeating Kasame <laughs> is pretty insane. Yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. I mean, and Kasame didn't even have the sword. He couldn't, like, go into his final shark form. Mm-hmm. I think... Okay, so I think he's definitely underrated. I, I'll definitely give you that, but I think we should move on to like the Itachi comparison because you know even with Ill Itachi, like he pretty much he pretty much had Sasuke. Right? Okay, hold on. Let me make this argument then. All right. Because Killer B was pretty much defeated Sasuke one v one. Like without Sasuke's you know three homies, you Killer B would have defeated Sasuke. Yeah. And Kasame defeated defeated yeah. Killer B. Yeah. So one and the fact that Itachi you know pretty much equal to Sasuke. Doesn't that mean that, I know it's not like a simple, you know, transitive property, but from the matchups, um, Kasama has be- beaten someone who beat Sasuke. Real quick, for timeline, I'm just remembering, like, were those the same Sasuke's, basically? Yeah, was Sasuke, I think he had... You know what I mean, in terms of how strong he was and stuff like that? Uh, pretty much from when he faced, I think it was pretty similar. I think the one thing is, you know how there was the Orochimaru asshole from... The fight against Itachi, like, Orochimaru sealed part of himself into Sasuke. Oh, So I think yeah. Sasuke was slightly stronger when he faced Itachi just from that Orochimaru asshole. But otherwise, it happened very quickly because um, Killer B defeated Sasuke. Sasuke, I think, learned the truth from Obito and then he fought Itachi. But, like, day. what I'm saying is, like, I don't think that that power-up from Orochimaru equals the the... Basically, damage slash dead he had from his eyes, like being uh, fucked up. You're saying Itachi? For, no, no, for Sasuke. For Sasuke, Because okay. during timeline wise, I think that was after Itachi, but before he got Itachi's eyes, right? For Kisame. Or sorry, for uh, Killer B fight. 
Because I remember he had uh, he had uh, problems with Dakatsuki mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. on Killer B, and that's I think that's when he got like slammed into like you know his stomach got slammed by Killer B, and like he got almost got killed. I see. So I think I think with Sasuke and Itachi, there's always like okay, prime Sasuke Itachi yeah. or like you know six Sasuke Itachi, and I think even like six Itachi was like better than I would say better than Sasuke. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, and then. So that's why I think like I think by the by transitive property like Kisame is like slightly better. It's like Kisame is slightly better than like uh kind of like Prime Sasuke, but I think Itachi is like even better than that. Even better than that. Yeah. I see. What do you say, Seth? I guess when I'm just thinking about their head-to-head matchup of Itachi versus Kisame. I'm thinking about the Itachi versus Kabuto fight as well, uh, like when he came back, right? But he was way different, you know, that's it, because he wasn't sick. For sure, like, for sure. That, yeah. For sure. Okay, yeah, so first of all, yeah. we're talking just like Itachi in the series. We're not talking yeah, about yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, we're, cool. we're not, like, because Itachi fights are over. So I'm trying to think about their matchups. Like, I know Kasame, like, he can, like, eat chakra and stuff like that. Yeah. Right? So I feel like he can deal with a lot of things, but could he deal with Amaterasu as the main thing? So I think Kasame could avoid it long enough. Because this could he is... know, like, Kabuto couldn't really avoid it. This is one area where I actually think Kisame is way better than Like, if he... Yeah, yeah. Like, what, he, what about his speed, though? Oh, you're saying he could just tank on the truck. No, 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 I'm saying... <laughs> no, I'm saying... <laughs> no, 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 I'm not saying that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm saying he could avoid Itachi long enough um, where eventually he could wear down Itachi because Itachi could only use that, like, probably, like, twice. But yeah. does, does he have the speed feats to be able to avoid it properly? Like, I feel like even Kabuto wasn't... I, I, Kabuto was, like, pretty crafty. I don't know. Go like, like, strong. before say guy to 7th gate, I feel like he's pretty that's fucking pretty, fast. Yeah. Mm. That's pretty huge. And then... But I think the Genjutsu aspect is just, like, I think you're underestimating Itachi's, like, Genjutsu feats of, like... I mean, you know, he he whoops on Joni, like, uh... um. Uh, who are Shika- Shikamaru's mentors? Uh, Asuma, yeah. Asuma, yeah. yeah. I mean, Asuma. you know, I mean, that's not really close to Kisame, but like the way that he was kind of like handling all his opponents, and he he was also like um, sealing up a bunch of Jinchu Riki as well. I think before, um, before his showdown with Sasuke alongside Kisame, because all, all the Kisame plus Itachi showdowns with Jinchu Riki were always one v ones. Yeah. Like, so but Kisame has some pieces. He single-handedly defeated the fourth tail. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. So what I'm saying is that, like, the Killer B yeah. one is, like, uh, like... I mean, Killer B is pretty strong. He's, Killer B is pretty don't, strong. Don't just cap Killer B like that, man. Yeah. But he also got away, to be fair. But, like, the right, I don't remember exactly what happened, but all, all I remember was he, like, when Kasami went shark form, yeah. and went, like, full water jutsu, Killer B lost, and then, like, they need the right Kage to come in, play yeah. a tag team. Okay, Sorry. two questions. First of all, yeah. do you think Itachi... Could he use perfect Susano? Do you think? No, his he was too fucked up. Yeah. His eyes were too fucked up. That's why the skeleton. It was always a skeleton. Yeah, once again, I still think he could avoid Susano long enough, Kasame. Like just endurance wise. Just due to the endurance. Mm-hmm. And then also, I remember Itachi had those two weapons. Was it like the Yata Mirror and the uh was it Sword of Sukiyomi? Yeah. What were their uh, respective powers again? Do you guys It remember? could like cut your soul or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> It was something, I think the sword especially was something just a counter um, Orochimaru's asshole. Like the ceiling away oh. from Orochimaru, I don't remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then also, one question, in terms of like Genjutsu, does Kasame have any like strong feats against Genjutsu? 
So, yeah, I think that's one area where he falls completely short of Itachi. Mm-hmm. And we don't exactly know how it would happen. Yeah. But purely in a 1v1, sort of how I imagined it was, Kasami would just avoid eye contact with Itachi long enough. Mm-hmm. But with Sharingan, you can also yeah. read moves. So, like, I just feel like a matchup against any Ujiha of, like, Bruce, quote-unquote Bruce Frank characters, like Kisame, I mean, even with his insane endurance, like, I don't think he's a match. Well, what about his ability to take Chakra? You don't think if he gets one swipe with Samehade? On Susano, you're saying? Or on on Itachi, like yeah. I, I don't think Samehade could it? take Chakra from Susano. Susano, yeah. yeah. I think Susano's the, the shield is too much. Well, yeah. I'll also say that, like, the fact that he was part of the Seven Swordsmen, and the Seven Swordsmen turned out to be, like, pretty damn weak, is, yeah, yeah. is a little telling of, like, mm. his pro- obviously he, he was probably the strongest, and he was so strong and right, fucked right. up that he left, kind of thing, but, like, Bro, that's like saying Mihawk is Estral's crocodile. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. I feel like Kasama has enough feats. Like, he completely defeated the Four Tails yeah. in Turkey on yeah. himself. Defeated Killer B. Yeah. So, how do you see the fight playing? Like, how do you see Kasame beating Itachi, actually? Is it more of just, like, a wall it out for a while until Itachi just can't throw anything at him anymore and then beat him? Because do you think he could like blitz him or like break through the, the defense of Susano? Because he's more of a brute force character, right? I don't think he could break through the defense of Susano. I don't think we've seen anything from his like pure peak power. Yeah. But I think he would just sort of spam water jutsu with his insane chakra, mm-hmm. wait out Itachi, and then just wait for Samehara to take chakra before taking. Wait, I think the Samehara makes yeah. him an insanely good matchup for Jinchu Riki. Because Jinchuriki is literally just a massive chakra yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, like, him defeating Killer B is definitely impressive, doesn't take away from it, but I think that's just insane compatibility. That, like, and obviously Itachi has a lot of chakra, but he's no Jinchuriki, right? But if, okay, let me make a counter on that, though. Every yeah. ninja needs chakra. Like, wouldn't it be even more revenge against someone with less chakra because you could take it away faster? No, but like the the type of ju- like the Kisame against uh, he's saying maybe like the style of fighting. Yeah, he did like the crazy like amount of water. Right? Yeah, yeah. Like with Itachi, like that's not really gonna matter with Susano or like Genjutsu, right? So like yeah, definitely like the ability to take away chakra will be impactful if their gas tank is smaller. But like you know, he'll obviously do a different strat with Itachi. But like I just think that the matchup was like and like the strategy was so easy and straightforward. Against all the Jinchuriki versus Itachi or like another mm-hmm. normal ninja, like Guy, or for, some, or for example, like, you know, yeah. it was like a little bit more disadvantageous. I guess, like, overall, the way I see it is it feels like Kasame kind of needs to wear down Itachi mm-hmm. or like just basically bank on Itachi running out of stamina because I think Itachi defensively is, is pretty jacked. Like, I don't think Kasame's style of fighting would get through to it in terms of landing a killing blow, like, off guard. So I think that gives Itachi a lot of time for just setup for moves, which I don't think Kasame has any counters for, like Amaterasu or Sukiyomi, like capturing him in a Genjutsu. You don't think Kasame him. could just avoid it? Like, so I, I think I think it he takes could. time to set up. That's what I'm saying. Like, I think he could, but I think Itachi has the benefit of being, he's like the one controlling the pace of the fight, mm. basically, right? Yeah. Or like controlling the nature of the fight. Like Kasame's strat here is to just overwhelm and to like, you know, drain Itachi. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Battle of attrition, he wins, right? Yeah. But I think that, like, Itachi's still no, like, slouch. It's not like he's, like, a pure glass cannon, right? Yeah. Like, he still has Susano. Like, he'll still last for some time. And I think that gives him... He's also, like, super crafty. And, like, being, like, a god-tier genjutsu user, I feel like he, he will have 
opportunity to be able to set up something to like pop off an Amaterasu, pop yeah. off a Tsukiyomi or something. Yeah, and get that. With Susano going for him as well. Dimensionality wise, he doesn't stack up to the top tier of a Tsukiyomi with like Obito or Pain. Like he's just like this, he's kind of like guy but evil in terms of like he just brood. Kisame, you're saying? Yeah, Kisame yeah. has like this crazy brute force endurance and chakra and all that. But like he doesn't have like these special powers that puts him in a league, puts them in a league of their own, you know, Katsuki. Um, I think you guys, okay, I just want to say, I think you guys are a little bit underestimating his Nishutsu abilities, mm-hmm. because I think he's, him and the second Otaku, like the two best water release mm-hmm. experts in the entire series, mm-hmm. and I do think just endurance is being underrated here, mm-hmm. just his ability to take it out against other top tiers. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't have too much to add to the conversation. How are you guys feeling numerically? I think the whole accomplishment, all the accomplishments being laid out has definitely made me realize that he's underrated. But I don't think he's close to the Itachi. So I was 1 out of 5 earlier, and I think I'm like 2 or maybe 2.5. Yeah, I'm okay. a little more convinced. I'll do 2.5 too, because yeah, I'm not I'm a little more convinced for sure. Yeah, um, definitely the biggest delta. Because I think, I mean, you brought up some good points that in, in the sense that I think in terms of matchup, he is a good matchup for, like, he's a good counter for Itachi, if anything. Like, in terms of, like, his skills uh, directly work well with Itachi's weaknesses, like, the massive endurance and, and chakra, whereas Itachi's, like, on a timer, right? Uh, so that helps a lot. And I think the feats, that was good. Like, you're right, his feats are pretty strong. Uh, yeah. Beating Killer B is a strong feat, so. All right, let's what about healthy Itachi? Oh, healthy Itachi. <laughs> <laughs> His mythical healthy yeah, Itachi. I think he's getting washed by healthy Itachi. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, cool. Let, let's wrap it up with the hottest take of the day. Oh, yeah, yeah. All right. So my hot take is going back to Kingdom. Uh, so now we're going to be talking about uh, some 1v1. So my hot take is that Toe wins in a 1v1 with Mobu. Um, and this is just a straight up duel and definitely on like an army slash strategy level as well. And to add on top of that, which is this is like kind of a tangent, but I think he's only handedly beaten in a duel by Hoken. Okay, so, so what are you guys is um, <laughs> I, I'll start by saying, yeah, yeah, in terms of leading an army, yeah. sure, I can see Toe potentially beating Mobu. Like, I wouldn't argue that necessarily too much. Still think there's an argument, but in a 1v1, there's no way, man. Like, I just don't see it. I don't think the feats are there. I don't think, like, the narrative is there either. And, um, it's... Yeah, I just don't see it at all, personally. I... I mean, I give it a, a lot of fun. I think <laughs> there's no way he beats Mobu in a duel. And I think, if you said, in terms of commanding an army, I probably would give him a 3 out of 5. I think Mobu's a little underrated. Yeah. But, go ahead, please. All right. So I don't have a lot of like good feats because this is this is more of a speculation thing on both sides actually. So I think the biggest argument we've seen, uh, or that you, I think you guys have brought up in the past for Mobu is his battle against Kame, right? Where it's pretty, pretty big battle, yeah. Yeah, pretty big battle. I think pretty deciding factor against Chu. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that I think we all agree that's his like biggest Mobu's biggest accomplishment yeah. in Kingdom so far. And I think that's like a pretty classic like brute versus brute um, 1v1. And it doesn't really like, and I don't think that proves much about like how the winner of that battle would have been quote unquote like the strongest 
you know, and when I say strong, I don't mean like literally how big they are. Oh my god, Jack! You mean in yeah, like the I mean like in the duel, right? Right. Yeah, right. in the duel uh, sense that you know the winner of that battle, Momu, is like the strongest person in the kingdom world mm-hmm. for that. So first off, I'm not I'm not that convinced by that battle, even mm-hmm. though I think it does prove weight in uh, Momu's favor. And I think the second thing is with Toe, like. We've seen, like, a lot of, like, lore around his, like, matchups with Oki and how, like, how Oki has, like, said that Toe is, like, on par with me in, in like, many regards. And I don't mm-hmm. remember if he said it um, for the strategy. I think he said, like, in almost all aspects, well, like, leadership or something, mm-hmm. like, Toe and I are equal. And Toe is, like, you know, on par, or sorry, uh, Oki uh, is pretty close to Hoken, mm-hmm. which I think we all agree is, like, you know, the best um, Healthy, healthy Hoken is the best uh, in the kingdom world. So that's kind of the transitive property that I see between Toe, Oki, and Hoken. And then one last part of this argument is that we've never seen Toe go full power. And, you know, it's kind of a weak argument. But, like, when we saw Mobu uh, fighting Kame, that was right after Moten was critically injured by Kame. So he was, like, peak, like, trying as hard as he could. He also had, like, this raging power behind him. Whereas with Toe, like, we've never seen him, like, seriously cornered. I think uh, Waltz mentioned before, like, in the, uh, I think in the Shukai planes, he did he failed to, like, you know, handily beat some kind of random, like... The, the coalition arc? Yeah, in the coalition arc, some, like, random, like, chi general. No, mm-hmm. Not random, uh, he was one of the youngsters. Youngsters? Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha, yeah. gotcha. But either way, like, some, you know, he's not, like, they're not, like, the top tier, right, mm-hmm. general of that army. Which, you know, I think has some weight... Uh, but like in terms of I think duels that transitive property, holy shit, that transitive property I think um, is strong enough to to warrant the fact that he's probably not as strong. So I disagree that he hasn't gone all out. I feel like in the coalition arc he was definitely going all out to try to save Chen, and he wasn't able to defeat. That uh, guy from Q, I can't remember his name. Yeah. I think it's like Haku Q- or something. But he was pretty much like the Shin equivalent of like a 1,000 man commander in Shu. And two, in the Fire Dragons arc, he was trying to defeat Rambe Haku and he was unable to do so as well. So, overall, I, I just don't see how anything comes close to like the feat of Mogu defeating Kame. Like, I think it really boils down to that. Like, Bobo B. Kame, who was considered the strongest man in all of Chu. Toe has nothing close, couldn't even be, you know, like a 1,000 man commander from Chu directly, even a very special one. And he doesn't have any feats remotely close to that. But don't you think Mobu was set up very well by Shiro Hunkan in. I mean, the coalition argument, I don't remember exactly with the Kami situation, but I think with, Sho, like, with the coalition arc in general, like he was set up. Continually set up well. Yeah, yeah. By Shogun Kun. Whereas, like, with Toe, I feel like he... I don't know if he got that preferential treatment until post-Colution arc. But I think Shogun Kun set him up because he had confidence Mobu would win the 1v1 and Toe wouldn't because, you know, Shogun Kun is the... thinks Mobu is the strongest 1v1 fighter in Chen's army. Gotcha. I feel like that's an argument for Mobu given that Shogun Kun specifically set up the matchup for Kame with Mobu, knowing Mobu's strengths. Especially because they've served together for a long time under Ryo Fui as well. Yeah, I think just going back to 
the Kanbei feat and just 1v1s in general in Kingdom. It, it doesn't really seem like we've seen that super finesse tactics have been necessarily like a strong factor here. And the term, it seems like strength at the end of the day is what, what is important in the 1v1s. And based on the feat of beating the strongest man in China in Kanmei and just the acclaim of a lot of characters touting Mobu's physical strength, like oftentimes he'll be called out specifically in like conversations where like they'll be like, oh, even Mobu uh, might not be able to, or, or it's like maybe only Mobu can do this. So it feels like his strength has been championed multiple times, uh, even in light of like any tactical deficiencies that he might have. And we haven't really seen that for Toe as much. And going back to the point of Oki kind of saying that Toe is his, like, his you know, right-hand man, like basically his equal, um, it might be fair to say overall, like in terms of like his overall, you know, being close and if we're going by a tiering system, but I don't think he has the strong feats to back up most of those claims. Uh, as a general, he's shown pretty good feats, I think, actually tactically and things like that. But in a pure 1v1 setting, while no doubt being super strong, like he's one of the six great generals and one of the better ones, arguably, at this time. But I just don't think he has that level of fighting prowess that Mobu has been like very specifically championed for throughout his whole career, right? Like to the point of where it can make up for other deficiencies and still be like great general level. Well, I will say I will say this on the career front because I think I think you also I think you both are still resting Mobu's like like prowess because he has the accomplishment with Kanmei, uh -huh. and I think he he's won some key battles in Junko. Mm -hmm. But like Mobu hasn't really been very active on the battlefield until Rilfui has been Rilfui was overthrown, right? And like in terms of Kingdom yes, Years, yeah. that's only like three or four years of battles. Whereas right. Toe has served Oki since like the previous six uh, yeah, six yeah. Uh, great generals generation, and like we've seen the times like pre time skip. Uh, with Oki and Toe like uh, showing down with uh, I forgot who the um, uh, who the like one of the great generals of uh, Zao that they defeated Grandpa no I don't know um, totally blanking on the name yeah. now but like you know there was there was like that flashback of like you know Oki and Toe back mm. you know, back in those days and I think just like pure like number of years alone like Toe has like eclipsed Mobu by far right and I think that difference in experience. And just like the amount of like duels that they've gone through together and that pair up has like far eclipsed like Mobu's like you know few accomplishments since uh Shogun has been. But one kind of argument I have to the experience is Shin, right? Like he's another strength type character and like zero experience, but he's beating generals with like loads more experience under their belt, right? Based on his like one narrow focus in a certain area, being like the one v ones and the strength. So I think that to that point, like, Mobu still has a lot more experience relative to that gap that Shin has displayed. Um, and still has decent experience under his belt at this point, right? In time. I have, I have a few kind of arguments, too, to add to it. It seems like you're putting a lot of weight on Toe's time with Oki. But one, from the battles we've seen so far, it seems like Oki is always dueling the strongest person, right? Like, he was the one who dueled Hoken while he sent Toe to, like, kill the uh, Zal commander on his own. So Toe probably doesn't have experience dueling the strongest general from the enemy side. And we also knew that Oki dueled with Gaima. So that's like another sign that Oki took the strongest duels himself. Um, two, you're putting a lot of weight also on like Oki's words where he said Toe, you know, like he's very similar to me. But 
Oki also said, and this is that Mobu was probably the strongest offensive force in all of China, surpassing even himself. And this was mm. pre Battle of Bio, so this was pre hit Mobu's growth as well. Mm-hmm. Whereas Toas more have always been there, you know, he's like the Marco type of figure. Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, that's a that's a strong argument of like Oki himself giving credits to Mobu, and I think he's grown since those yeah. arguments because Mobu I think was super green and was like you know talking shit to Oki a lot. Uh, I'm kind of getting convinced <laughs> the other, other direction, but yeah, I just think I don't I don't really I don't know how like much weight I still put on Kame. And it's that showdown. I just, I, I think you guys seem to think that whoever wins that match was the strongest, right? Well, okay. not maybe, not necessarily okay, the yeah. strongest. Like, I mean, going back to your point of Hoken, I think yeah. Hoken's probably still, should be stronger at least. Yeah. But I think it's still a really strong feat nonetheless. Right. Uh, even if Kanme was maybe a little underwhelming uh, based on what he was touted as. But I think that still carries a lot of weight. And I think him beating him uh, just objectively beating him, the significance of him beating the strongest man in China, and then all the other commentary around his strength, it just kind of like adds to the argument more so than anything else. Yeah, I think it's also Toe doesn't have any real one v one feats. It's not like he he's yeah. he's beaten other great generals as well. It's just right. Mobu has probably the highlight of the coalition arc, which was the common Mobu duel, mm-hmm. and then yeah. Toe is sort of just you know always a great tactical general who's had wins but not through his pure 1v1 prowess yeah i guess like let me put it this way like he has on paper mobu has on paper arguably the best feat for this mm-hmm. arguably but fitting decent argument and then also he has like the narrative going for him whereas toe i don't think has either for yeah i, I agree argument. i agree that we see a stronger 1v1 record for toe mm-hmm. or sorry for mobu mm-hmm. um but i just think there's so much like we haven't seen yet with toe and, like, just the fact that the deep history with Oki, even if he's not the... Even if he's only, like, dueling the right-hand men, and, like, even in the battles, like, you know, he's not necessarily, like... I don't think Toll was ever, like, in the 1v... I don't think we ever saw him in actual 1v1s. He was just kind of, like, off-screen. Yeah, maybe, armies. like, on, like, low-key 1v1s. Yeah. But there's never been, like, a proper one. And, like, minor point, too. Like, his sword is, like, made out of a meteorite. So, like... <laughs> <laughs> I think there's significant plot armor there. Like... <laughs> I think it's more hype than Oki's Glaive, you know? So, mm-hmm. I mean, like, all of that combined with the fact that he's never tried, which is, you know, never a, the strongest argument, but, like, we we, seen, we saw Mobu, like, defeating Kame with, like, the utter peak of his emotion, mm-hmm. whereas, you know, Toll obviously is, like, you know, fighting for his country, yada, yada, but, like, in a true setting, like, you know, we haven't seen Toll go into, like, the Oki, like, enraged mode when it happened when Oki I, like, was killed. I think I disagree with the never tried narrative um i think he probably just is less expressive like he's more reserved i think when he was by the coalition arc and the fate of chin was on the line i think he was trying his hardest to win every single fight that he was a part of okay one last argument i want to make is you know about the stats yes yes, yes. so horror releases stats recently uh once came out just a few weeks ago and then for strength toe is 96 and mobile is 100 so people Take it with like different, you know, varies of For sure. canon. Mm-hmm. But straight from Har himself, like Mobu is considered definitively the strongest, and Toe is strong for a general, but not close to the top. I think axes wise, like, you know, I don't know if I consider the strength to directly map to one v one, 
even though it's obviously there's like other factors yeah 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 i mean like intelligence wise that's fair mobile's pretty bad like pretty low i think he's in like you know mid 80s or something yeah yeah. so that combined with like his with toe's like fighting style with like the spinning sword like i wouldn't say he's easily beats mobu but i think he's like i could see i could very well see him being mobu and i still still think he's i think so like if i had to bet if i was a betting man i think i would bet really wow because like the unknowns for me work in favor so well for you guys you guys are much more evidence-based which you know it's totally Mm -hmm. totally valid but um just in terms of like the way that he's been hyped up as like the when the, I think when I, when they went out to the shoe fight claim, uh, planes after the coalition arc, like he was the quote unquote general commander for that effort. Um, uh, hmm. And like, yeah, just like the few little things like here and there about like his prestige. Yeah, I think would. Uh, yeah, but I'm, I'm a little bit more persuaded. <laughs> it's, it's interesting that you view the unknowns as toe favored, because I think if anything, it shifts it to Mobu. Given all the hype around Mobu, all the acclaim he's gotten from all these other great generals and military leaders, and the lack of Forto's pure like dueling abilities, because okay, so the way that I see like Mobu's praise is like you were just a strong, you were a strong <laughs> kid. Yeah, yeah. yeah you were like, a, yeah, you were yeah. just a big guy, and like all the way that he's been framed is like sometimes strength surpasses like antics, like mm-hmm. kind of thing, mm-hmm. and like even with the Kame battle, like I didn't really see. Kami built up that much, you know. It was kind of like two. And Coalition Arc was like pretty hectic, so it was kind of yeah, and then for sure. Yeah. Out a few chapters before, but um, I just never put that much weight on the Kame defeat, even though at the time I think it was a key battle for sure. But I didn't see that as like, oh, now Mobu has the throne kind of thing. And it was like, oh, Mobu is you know definitively Bruce strength wise like the best mm-hmm. in China so far, but like dueling wise, right? Like there's still. Uh, there was still Hogan, and I think, you know, a lot of, like, other unknowns out there. And I think Toe, we've seen, like, unlike Osen, like, or Kanki, we've seen Toe in the battlefield, you know, like, being, like, a key factor. Yeah. Maybe not the number one guy, but, you know, still this, like, and then the word of Oki. Um, mm. uh, I'm playing, yeah, I, I think I placed a little bit too much emphasis on that, mm. but I think Oki, like, giving uh, Toe his props. That's why, that's why, like, the unknowns for me work in his favor because I, I have a lot of hype behind him. Mm. So. Got it. Any, any final words, Sad? <clears throat> uh, I guess, like, one last thing I'd mention is it feels like throughout the series, Mobu's probably been more on an upward trajectory, whereas Toe's probably at best leveled out at this point. Like, maybe slightly. Obviously, he got promoted to Great General and stuff, which is a boon. But it seems like the pace of their growth if anything, like, with each chapter that passes, it seems, like, more possible that Mobu's stronger. And I think he's already stronger, so... Uh, I, I feel like what we've said, what's been said already at this point, um, do you guys' opinions change at all throughout this? I'm curious. No. I think I, I see the same. Yeah. I think I see the same. Damn. I, I was probably the most influenced by this. <laughs> all right. Nice, man. I mean, you got the hottest take of the day, yeah. so... That's, uh, <laughs> that's, that's the hottest take of the yeah. day, I that's a wrap that's the real beat <laughs> <laughs> thank you guys for listening you know leave a review let us know in the comments what your takes are what you think about our takes and what side you would agree with and what you guys want to see next see you guys next month see ya peace